Well, I am Sharon Semler. Um, I'm married to my wonderful husband, Al, for 29 years. We have six children between the two of us. He calls our family mended, blended, and extended. We um, have, uh, he came in with three boys. I came in with a boy and a girl, and we have one together, kind of a yours, mine, and ours. So, gosh, I feel like I need to move this. So I'm going to try and focus here and teach here, there, there, there. That will work. Okay. Um, I've been given the uh, delightful subject of dealing thoroughly with sin. Thank you, Ronnie. And actually, it is a delightful subject when we look at it from the glorious standpoint that the heredity of sin itself has already been dealt with by our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, praise God. But the individual working out of that yucky stuff that keeps creeping into our lives is not delightful in the least. I could literally be up here teaching this subject for days and have days yet to teach. Now, the last time that I taught on this platform was really, it was in April, April of this year, and I was suffering from a really bad back injury at that time. Well, since then, my problem seems to have um, slid down my body like one of those old slips that we have where the waistband has seen better days, and it's landed in my foot. So now I have a foot issue. I broke my foot. I am afraid that I am structurally unsound. How did I break it? I don't know. Broke the same foot in the same place the same time last year. Structurally unsound. The other day, my husband said something about putting me in a bubble. I didn't ask him to repeat that. But I could tell something wasn't right when my foot started hurting again. And it looked swollen and bruised. For weeks, I suffered the pain and the swelling and the discoloration. Now, um, before we go any further, I am going to make sure you all have one of these worksheets. Everyone got one? Okay. I wanted to be a school teacher when I was a kid, so this was so fun to be able to do a worksheet for you. There's no test, but we are going to have you fill this out throughout the teaching. So get these out, get your pens out, And we're going to be going through lots of wonderful Bible verses. So get your Bibles out, get your phones out, get yourself ready. This is more of an interactive teaching here tonight. We're all going to be awake by the end. It's going to be great, okay? All right. And before I step any further into this teaching, I want to pray. Let's pray right now. Father, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for the delightful, the wonderful opportunity to be able to to minister along with these women. I thank you that you brought each one special. You handpicked them. And we just give ourselves to you right now, Lord, that you will um, open the eyes of our hearts, help us to receive what you have for us, for all of us here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, on your uh, worksheet, so you know when to be filling out stuff, I've got, I've got a little signal I've worked out, and it worked out this morning. So every time there's something 
that you need to be filling out, I'm gonna put a V up for victory. So when you see my finger up, then you know to look down and that it's something to fill out, all right? Are we with, are we with each other here? Okay. Now, as I said, I could tell there was something not right with my foot and um, I suffered for weeks with the pain, the swelling, this discoloration. There was an outward sign of an inward decline, an outward sign of an inward decline. And what did I do next? I got help. I got help to identify the problem. Now, I could speculate till the Chick-fil-A cow came home, but it wasn't until I went to a specialist, not my dentist, I found a really good orthopedic surgeon who specialized in feet, and he ordered an x-ray, and the break was confirmed. Then came the orders for blood work and bone density scan and all that kind of stuff, but there was an outward sign of an inward decline. There is an underlying problem with me. I had to deal to heal. I had to deal to heal. Now, how do you deal thoroughly with sin? Truth of the matter, number one, is you deal with it. You deal with it. Either you deal with it, you deal, either you deal with your sin, or everyone else has to deal with it. And don't be like Cy Robertson in the Duck Dynasty show, and he says, hey, that's the way it is. Deal with it, Jack. You deal with your sin. Now, um, I hate street sweepers. I do. I'm sorry to say that, but I do. They seem to be doing something good and right, but no. I see no positive purpose for their existence. This big, loud vehicle enters our cul-de-sac, uninvited and unannounced, in a slow, deliberate manner, and in just one sweep, splatters black rocks on the sidewalk in front of our homes. I hate them. I do. I know that's strong words, but I do. I don't even believe that they have the sucker-upper capability that they're supposed to have because they leave me a mess to clean up every time. Now, since I'm being honest, and since Ronnie confessed something last week, I have another confession to make. About a month ago, I heard the truck in my neighborhood, and God forgive me, but I hobbled out to my car, and I moved it from the driveway to right in front of my house. I did. I did. My poor daughter, Jenny, she is, is certain that she is going to see my face on the news as they report this crazy old woman who is going toe-to-toe with a street sweeper. Now, after I moved my car, I sat in my living room with a smile of deep satisfaction as I watched him drive by the cul-de-sac, turn around, drive by again, wanting to finish the job. Well, the joke was entirely on me when about a week or so after that, that same truck came creeping into our street. No warning, and I bet he just coasted in and not only drove in front of my house, but he proceeded to do donut after donut after donut in front 
of my house with the biggest smile of deep satisfaction as I stood at the door just shaking my head. That street sweeper doesn't deal with all the rocks that he has tossed and littered from the street. I do. Deal with your sin. Don't be a street sweeper. Truth of the matter, too. Sin is a dirty word. Sin is a dirty word. The Greek meaning of the word sin is to miss the mark and thus not share in the prize. I read that and it seemed a little bit ambiguous to me. James 4.17 says to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Um, I love what Oswald Chambers, mighty man of God, does anyone know who he is? He wrote the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest amazing, amazing devotional. I like what he has to say about sin. I'd like to read that now. We have to recognize that sin is a fact, not a defect. Sin is red-handed mutiny against God. Either God or sin must die in my life. The New Testament brings us right down to this one issue. If sin rules in me, God's life in me will be killed. If God rules in me, sin in me will be killed. There is no possible ultimate but that. The climax of sin is that it crucified Jesus Christ. And what was true in the history of God on earth will be true in your history and in mine. In our mental outlook, we have to reconcile ourselves to the fact of sin as the only explanation as to why Jesus came and as the explanation of the grief and sorrow in life. It can be so easy to look flippantly at sin. It is always important to keep in mind and heart the reality of what it cost God to reconcile man to himself. The enemy wants to downplay, to minimize, to rename, to excuse our sin, or downright ignore it. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. The verses preceding this speaks to wives about uh, being subject to your husbands as Christ is to the church. But we're not going to talk about that, even though I just did. We're going to start with, we're going to pick it up at verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless." Jesus wants his church, us, to be oxy-cleaned and ironed. No spot, no wrinkle. We're going to get dirty in this dirty world, but Jesus doesn't want us to stay dirty with sin. But guess who does? Yeah, the devil. 
2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from sin or wickedness, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Truth of the matter, number three, sin entangles us, enslaves us, endangers our relationship with God and others. Sin entangles us, enslaves us, endangers our relationship with God and others. Entangles. Turn with me to the very familiar scripture, Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's do the, let's do first two. I don't have it in my notes, but I just got to read it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, we could just keep on going. Those verses are so awesome. But we're focusing on entangling. Sin so easily entangles, much like the eight necklaces that are hanging up in my closet that I can't wear because they're all mixed up and tangled, tied in knots, and I'm not able to wear it unless I want to make a weird fashion statement. Now, I really, I like untangling necklaces or, or chains. And does anybody else like to do that? The challenge? No, I think it's cool. I like it. It's, it's the freeing up of those. It's a satisfying thing to me. And I think that's why I like counseling, helping people sort of untangle the knot issues in their life. Anyway, sin entangles, sin enslaves the first mention of sin is Genesis 4, 7. God speaking to Cain says, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you and you must master it. Let's turn to Romans 6, 6 through 14. To the left, Romans 6. Well, it's only to the left if you're in the Bible. I don't know what you do. You flip it if you're on your phone. I don't know how those works. I have a flip phone. I have a phone, I have a computer, and never the two shall meet. Okay, Romans 6, 6 through 14. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he, he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. My friend Oswald Chambers states, the penalty of sin is that gradually you get used to it and don't know that it's sin. It's like the proverbial pot of water. If you stick a frog in a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump out. But if you put him in a cool pot of water and just slowly turn up the heat, He's going to be frog legs for someone's dinner really soon. The disposition of sin, Oswald continues, or we could say the controlling power of sin, the disposition of sin is not immorality or wrongdoing, but the disposition of self-realization. I am my own God. That statement just blows me away. The self-realization that I am my own God. Sin endangers our relationship with God and with others. Turn to 1 John 1, 5 through 10 to the right. 1 John 1. These are great verses to memorize. Excellent, excellent verses. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. We'll start in the middle of the verse. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I think we all agree that sin is something we do not want in our life, right? So how do we know that something is sin? Read the word of God. Read the word of of God. Read the owner's manual. If you buy a new vehicle, you are given an owner's manual as to how it's to work properly. Ladies, this is our owner's manual. If something is not working, if your walk isn't working right, like my walk wasn't working right, then get help. Get help like I did. Remember, Paul reminds us in Romans 3 that there is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can pretend that you don't sin, but guess what? We know you do. I know I do. Let's stop hiding behind prideful exterior 
and get deep down to the heart of the problem. Someone said, if sin is your problem, that's good news because Jesus came and died for your sins and all you have to do is 1 John 1, 9 it. If we confess our sins, as we read, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't throw anything at me. You are struggling with sin. But how did you get there? For example, so many people asked me about my foot. How did I do it? I couldn't answer. Here's a question, though, that you can ask yourselves that has helped me for many years when dealing with my own sin. Ask yourself, what lie led you to this action? And what action will lead you to the truth? What lie led you to this action? And what action will lead you to the truth? Galatians 5, 19 says the deeds of the flesh are evident. Well, really, I would say that only if the word of God is the standard. If you measure your life up to God's word, then it is way, way evident. If you measure it to the world, what is acceptable today, or even more destructive, ladies, if you measure your life to a dysfunctional Christian, you will only grow as far as they will go. And believe me, there are dysfunctional Christians in this world. And believe me again, it's, I will say it is very difficult to recognize a dysfunctional Christian when dysfunctionality is the normal. It is very difficult to recognize a dysfunctional Christian when, Christ, when dysfunctionality is the norm. We need more Peters, Pauls, and Marys, and Loises, and Eunices. Of course, there are no perfect people in the Bible save Jesus Christ. And of course, this is what I call a wasted breath statement. There is no, no, not one perfect person on this entire planet. Did you ever think of that? I just recently thought of that. In this, on this whole planet, there is not one, not one perfect person. But there are men and women who are walking the walk, who are genuinely walking the walk, genuinely dealing thoroughly with the sin in their life, genuinely striving to know the word of God, that believe it and that follow it. Now, want to know how to spot a genuine disciple? Evidence of a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ is that they will not let you picnic on their character but will lead you by the hand again and again to this standard, the word of God. They will encourage you to employ it so you can enjoy it. Can you tell I like to rhyme? I love rhyming. I love Dr. Seuss. 
have a lot of Dr. Seuss books that I read my kids and grandkids. Well, I don't read my kids anymore. They're kind of old enough to read their own, right, Jen? There's my daughter back there. All right, truth of the matter number four, you've got to meet it to beat it. You've got to meet it to beat it. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 32. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 32, awesome passage. One of my favorite group of verses. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. This is David sharing how blessed it is to receive forgiveness. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. We can identify with that. Verse five says, I acknowledge my sin to thee and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. I am the director of a women's ministry called Womenkind Ministries, and we present an event called the Supreme Makeover and Fashion Show. In fact, we did an event here last year. Anybody come to that one? Oh, a lot of you, cool beans. Um, Jenny is one of the, sorry, I say cool beans. I'm sorry. I say weird stuff. I actually say, Okay, so that, this is totally off. I am so rabbit trailing. But I say good gravy Marie. I'll, get, I'll be like, oh, good gravy Marie. And my youngest son called me a few years ago and said, Mom, I was saying good gravy Marie at work. And the guys were like, I've never heard of that. And he goes, Mom, can you believe it? They have never heard of that. And I said, because I made it up. And he goes, Mom. Mom, what else have you made up? What am I saying? <laughs> he was so embarrassed. Anyway, that's all right. That was free. Okay, so we do an event called the Supreme Makeover and Fashion Show. It's a great tool that helps women identify what sin is hiding the person of their heart, the person that God created them to be. The women in the audience, they witness model after model wearing garments, dirty garments that represent various sins like unforgiveness, bitterness, worry, pride, competition, control, anger, grumbling, complaining. Then I share how simple it is to get clean. And it is simple only, only because Jesus made the way simple for us. He did the impossible. He made it possible for us. 2 Corinthians 11.3 is one of my favorite verses. One great one to memorize. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity and purity of devotion that is in Christ. So after this bizarre fashion show is over, what happens next? Well, next I encourage the women to rag it. I encourage the women to recognize your sin. To recognize the wrong that you have done. 
Then A, accept it as sin and ask Jesus to forgive you. Accept it as sin, ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask Jesus to cleanse you and wash you white. Only his blood can wash you white again. Only his blood can cleanse our dirty garments as we sang the song earlier. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Then G, give it to the Lord. Give the pain, give the sin, give the past. Give it to the Lord. I shared earlier, 2 Timothy 2.21, Paul states that if a man cleanses himself, he will be a vessel for honor. We will be sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. In verse 8 of Psalm 32, God speaks, I will instruct you and you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I think right now, I hope that we're all feeling the gentle finger tapping of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, there's a problem. There's an underlying problem. Have you noticed the outward effect, the outward sign of an inward decline? That might be a sensitive spot in your life. Sensitive spots tend to be sensitive. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose heart is completely his. You've got to deal to heal. You've got to deal to heal. I like to watch a show on Netflix. It's called The Great British Baking Show. Has anybody ever seen that? Hey, it's cool, right? I love it. British are so much nicer than we are when they're with their competitions, right? There's no uh, Hell's Kitchen or American Iron Chef or the Cupcake Wars. They're very proper and they're very encouraging and sweet. It's a cool show. I like it because they make the most unusual things, things I've never even seen. Have you like, right, never seen, never heard of before? It's awesome. And I like how they say Pekin and Basil. Anyway, each week they have a technical challenge. The bakers are given a recipe, but not all the details are provided, such as sometimes oven temperature or even what the pastry should look like. Each baker has the same recipe, but no two pastries ever come out the same, ever. Their interpretation of the instructions is also completely individual. Their baking and life skills are all unique and individual. The bakers often will need to prove their pastry to get it to rise before they bake it. Several times I have actually seen a baker mess up with his dough and then throw it out and start all over again. The pastry of my life will be different than the pastry of your life, but the basic recipe is the same. The instructions are exactly the same. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Now, when leaven 
is mentioned in the Bible, it is a representation of sin. So let's consider that when we read these verses. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I love that. We are encouraged by Paul to be a new lump. I know a lot about lumps. Lumpy bodies. With the, we are to be a new lump with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, let's take some time to do a dab of dealing. At the bottom of your worksheet, you've been asked a question. What is the sin that is so easily entangling you right now? I'd like you to take a few minutes, just you by yourself, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the answer. Then write it down in the lines that are provided. The next, I want you to get yourself clean. I want you to rag it. I want you to recognize the sin, the wrong that you have done. Accept it as sin and ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask Jesus to cleanse you and wash you white. Then, G, give it to God. You're forgiven. Give him the glory for his forgiveness. And Robin's going to be playing a little bit of music while you're spending time doing this. And then we will take a short break. But let's pray first. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much that you long for your bride to be clean. You want us clean. You want us whole. You want us without spot or wrinkle. Thank you that you don't want us to remain dirty from this dirty world. Father, I pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24 for us all right now. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Now we started dealing thoroughly with sin, not that we're ever going to get to the place where we get it. Now let's talk about a subject that goes hand in hand with our battle with sin, and that is walking in victory. I checked out the meaning of victory in the Vines Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. How's that for a title? It is a great tool for anyone who is in leadership, wanting to do teaching. It's great because it cross-references with the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It'll give you the number, it'll give you a definition of a word, and it'll give you the number that you can go right to the Strong's Concordance and find out more information. Really great. Okay, anybody know what the Greek word for victory is? Anybody? Jenny, I know you know you were here this morning. You don't know about the song, but you know about the works. You were here. All right, it is Nike. N-I-K-E. Nike, the Greek word for victory. It means conquest, the means of success, overcome, prevail. 1 John 5, 4, we got two V's in a row, states, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory or Nike that has overcome the world, our faith. In verse 5 of 1 John 5, John asks a question and he answers it in the same sentence. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, walking in victory. I asked one of my dear young friends what she thought it meant. Bethany is in her early 20s, and uh, she's a massage therapist at my chiropractor's office. Her dad's a chiropractor, so it works out really nice for them. So on, on Monday, I had an hour-long massage, simply decadent. And I just have the best time talking with her all the time. I love her so much. Anyway, she paused for a moment when I asked her, and she basically said that to her, walking in victory meant relinquishing everything to God. Wow. (laughs) Cane drop. Really? That, oh, I wish I would have coordinated that better. I said, yes, as I'm getting my massage, yes. It is not only our will that we relinquish, but our past, our present, our future, our family, our careers, our relationships, our everything. It means giving God all of us, giving God our everything. And I would mic drop or cane drop it, mic drop it right now, but it wouldn't have the same effect as pulling this off my ear and it wouldn't drop, it simply hang. So forget that idea, but suffice it to say, pretty awesome statement. Truthfully, that's victory. That's the means of success. Truth of the matter, number one, there's a lot of walking in the Christian life. So grab your walking cane, what I'm using quite often these days, and let's get walking. Walking in victory, walking in the spirit, walking in love, walking in the light, walking in a manner worthy of the calling, walking in the same manner as Jesus walked, walking in newness of life. Who said Christianity is a passive sit-down religion? You know, it's too bad that there isn't a Fitbit for our Christian steps. That would be a pretty cool thing, right? Somebody's needing to come up with that. As I shared in the previous session, 1 John 1, 9, 1 speaks of walking in the light. He says, God is light. And if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now, whenever I read this passage in the past, I always camped out on the fact that if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. And that's pretty amazing to be sure. But when studying for this teaching, another part of the verse jumped out at me like never before. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Stop. We have fellowship with one another in the light. I believe we could say also that if we do not have fellowship with somebody, somebody is walking in the darkness. Something to think about. We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with one another, and we are cleansed from all sins. Walking in the light 
is walking in victory. Paul tells the church of Ephesus, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The reality is that we are in these flawed, failing, drippy, droopy bodies. So truth of the matter too. Help, I need somebody. Help, I need somebody. As I stated earlier today, I think we're kind of a lot like the great British baking show contestants. The pastry of my life will look totally different from the pastry of your life. So what I am struggling with right now that's keeping me from walking in victory may not necessarily be what you're struggling with and keeping you from walking in victory. But make no mistake, we are all struggling. We all need help. Peter nailed it when he said in 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, it hit me that this former burly, uh, former cursing fisherman said the word beloved. I wonder what that looked like when it came out of his mouth. What a change in him. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. He expounded in chapter five, nine, when he says the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your sisters who are in the world. So don't neglect to connect. These days, I would say there are very few, if any, lone rangers walking in victory. We aren't meant to live hermit lives. If we were, God would have stopped with Adam. We all wouldn't be here. End of story. Find someone who is walking, has evidence of walking in the light, walking in the spirit, walking in the truth, walking in victory, and get to know them. Glean from their experiences with the Lord. Encourage them. Ask to be mentored. Simply be their friend. Leaders need leaders. Seek out fellow strugglers. An army of one won't last. Truth of the matter three, this life on earth is a battleground not a playground. We need to gird with the word. We need to gird, G-I-R-D, with the word. Now, as you get older, the word gird takes on a different meaning. (laughs) You get what I'm saying, right? Now, I'm talking about the IRD word here. The New World Dec- definition of it is the New World Dictionary defines GERD as to surround, encircle, or enclose, to equip, clothe, or furnish. GERD, surround, enclose, equip, clothe yourself in and with the Word of God. Now, let's look up some of the words that are used in the word. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. These are great verses to memorize. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Look at these words, war, weapons of our warfare, powerful destruction of fortresses, destroying, taking captive. These are not passive words, them's fighting words, ladies. Taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. When I was raising my kids, I instilled in them first-time obedience. What would it be like in our walk, in our lives, if we would first-time obedience take captive every thought and make it first-time obedient to Christ? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation is going to overtake us, but ones that things that we have all experienced and that God will give us a way of escape. Truth of the matter, number four, you've got to believe it to receive it. You've got to believe it to receive it. Ephesians 6, I think, should be read over and over and over again. And I would love to turn there. Ephesians 6. The good old armor of God. You know, I knew a lady that before she got out of bed in the morning, she would go through the armor of God verbally putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. She'd go through that whole armor verbally every morning before she set foot out of her bed. Wow, this was living victoriously for her. Let's read. Let's start in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, ladies, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You've got to believe it to receive it. Believe is one of my favorite words. I have it many places in my home. Jesus said to Martha at the grave of Lazarus, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I want to see the glory of God. This is... 
the inerrant word of God. We would do well to believe it, to receive it, to read it, to heed it, to know it, and to show it. Our victory, ladies, lies among these pages. Believe Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Believe Psalm 138.8. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Believe John 16.33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Believe Psalm 57 too. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. We can hide the actual word of God in our heads and in our hearts. Memorize, ladies, read it every day be in the word. Choose devotionals that take you to the word, not simply to someone's thoughts about it, but actually to the word. I use streams in the desert. I use my utmost for as highest as I, as I uh, read from earlier. And uh, our daily bread, there's many really good devotions. Oswald Chambers, like I said, my utmost. And Spurgeon's morning and evening is another great one. Be in the word. Yesterday, my youngest daughter, Angie, who lives in Missouri, she's been married for four years and lives in Missouri, she called me yesterday and she was crying. Now, we're getting ready to go visit her. We're leaving on Saturday morning. We're going to spend a week. So she's getting prepared for mom and dad to come, cleaning out the guest room, going through boxes, getting them in storage units. And she was going through some box and she found an old wallet of hers. And inside that wallet was a yellow piece of paper, one that I had given her on her 18th birthday, the day that she left home. See, she was in high school or senior year and she believed a lie from the enemy. She didn't believe what mom and dad had raised her to believe. And she left home on her 18th birthday, one of the darkest days of my life. She called me crying and said, Mom, I found the note that you you gave me on the day that I left. She was just crying. She said, Mom, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for fighting for me. I said, Angie, you're so worth fighting for. She said, do you want to know what, the se- what it said? Because I couldn't remember what I wrote. I said, sure, I'm crying by this point. Sure, read it to me. And she said, Genesis 28. I've got it. Highlighted in my Bible so that I won't forget it. Genesis 28, 15. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. 
I wrote on that that paper that I was going to pray for her that verse every night while she was away, and I did. I fought for my daughter with the word of God. She came back after two months as a delightful, wonderful woman of God now. Praise his name. The sword of the spirit is what I fought with. Truth of the matter number five. This one is one of the most important, if not the most important elements in walking in victory. You must forgive to truly live in victory. You must forgive to truly live in victory. I had to forgive Angie. No one betrayed me like her in my whole life. No one deceived me. No one played me like her. I had to forgive. Last time uh, when I taught here in April, I wasn't only suffering from a back injury. I was covered by the sin of slander, people spreading harmful lies about me. I didn't know if I could teach, if I would even be able to share anything. I kept pretty much to my notes as I battled with the effects of the previous weeks. The effects from the stress actually caused my back injury to explode and be so much worse. I wasn't walking in victory because I was dealing with the sin of others. Their sweeper came into the cul-de-sac of my life totally unbeknownst to me, blindsided me to the max and did circle after circle, kicking up black stones and garbage on the sidewalk of my heart. So wrong, so painful, so unbelievable. Forgiveness is essential to victorious Christian living. Forgiving others, forgiving yourself. Forgiveness is the key to healing. To my knowledge, this situation has not even been rectified. But my attitude about it has because I chose to forgive. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? You've got to deal, ladies, to heal. Jesus is all about forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance, restoration. Walking in victory means dealing thoroughly with sin, fighting the good fight, believing and receiving. My friend Oswald Chambers said the bedrock of Christianity is personal, passionate devotion to the Lord Jesus. I will close with these two wonderful verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled by your love for us. 
We are so humbled that you would bring us this wonderful word. This wonderful pattern for living. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts right now and for what you have yet to do. Father, I pray that you will continue to open the eyes of our hearts. And may we hear the gentle speaking of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the the victory that we find only in him. In Jesus' name, amen.